0: Speaking with the new ETS branch, Mandaringer. This week, we've got a brand new ETS branch manager. We'll talk to Carrie Hotton mcdonald about her new role, transit, and all the stuff that Twitter told us to ask her. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, speaking Municipally. municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 120, where we'll have a very special guest on this episode who we found out is the new ETS branch manager from her tweet. Uh, We didn't get this in a press release. So if that teaches you anything about journalism, press release journalism doesn't work. You got to follow everyone on Twitter. On to the rapid fire. The City of Edmonton is
1: planning to bring back temporary shared streets this spring. The wildly successful program, which cost $119,442 and ran from May to October last year, led to a 54.2% reduction in distancing violations, according to a university study. But the debate is not quite settled on the matter. We spoke to some citizens and elected officials with strong words decrying the new lanes. But unfortunately, we're unable to edit out all the ranting about QAnon and the global warming hoax in time for release of this podcast. I guess we didn't budget our time conservatively enough.
0: With high demand for campsites as reservations opened on March 1st, some are recommending would-be campers who missed out on a spot try out a new strategy using Crownland. This strategy improves on regular camping because while Albertans are used to continuing to pay rent or a mortgage while they sleep cold and uncomfortably inside a tiny fabric hut that always seems to be leaking, eating bland food and spending way more time doing the dishes than you do at home, Crownland camping has all of that, plus no bathrooms, drinkable water, telephone service, or indeed, enjoyability. Edmonton police estimate that
1: around 200 people turned up to an illegal party Sunday morning. Many patrons scattered as soon as the police arrived, with some being detained under the Public Health Act. As of Tuesday night, while police have collected IDs and details of some of the partygoers, no charges have been laid. That's good news for one partygoer we spoke to who goes only by Roger, who told us, quote, I'm glad I didn't get a ticket because I signed up to bring the keg to the party round two later that afternoon at Grace Life Church at Grace Life Church.
0: Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities and creates a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. And once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the ECF in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on millennials. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. And right off the top of the episode, the whole episode is going to be dedicated to this because, hey, it's a big get. We rant about transit almost all the time. There's very infrequently an episode where we don't talk about transit. And, well, we've got a new branch manager of the Edmonton Transit Service, so we jumped at the opportunity to have Carrie Houghton-McDonald on the show. Welcome, Carrie.
2: Thank you. I so appreciate you reaching out. Really happy to be here.
0: So we need to start where all our listeners want us to start, with the most important question before we introduce you, before we d- get to anything else. <laughs> do you live in St. Albert?
2: I do not live in St. Albert. I live on the west side of the city in Edmonton. I'm in Councillor Councilornax Ward, I'm in Nakota, Iska.
0: And did you just immediately move here before the podcast episode <laughs> in order to cover?
2: Oh, you caught me. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, I've been uh, living on the west side of the city for four years.
1: The other, uh, the other key question that we have to ask, given your role, which we're going to learn all about here right away, is do you <laughs> regularly use transit yourself?
2: Yeah, so I've been a transit user now. I was trying to calculate it in my head, the number of years. I think it's about 25 years in total. I actually went car free for about twelve of those years, or maybe a little bit more than that. I would say since COVID, in particular, I actually don't leave my house a lot. Right. When I do, it's uh, you know very purposeful things. So I do use the bus occasionally uh, to run errands. I was I was using it on the weekend as an example. I also ride my bike. I also like to walk. And yes, I do have a car uh, that I use occasionally as well.
1: Multimodal. Yeah. 100%. I love it. Well, congratulations on the new role. You're now the branch manager of ETS, as Troy mentioned. Um, You've been at the city for a while before that. Why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you got into this role and uh, and, and your career so far at the city?
2: Um, so thanks for the opportunity to um, just help people get to know me a little bit. Uh, So, I grew up in a very small rural community in northern New Brunswick, um, so on the other side of the country. So, I went to university in Nova Scotia and ended up staying there for quite a while. And then an opportunity came up uh, within transit uh, while I was there, and I made the jump. So, the first half of my life, my career was focused on human resources. I have a psychology degree, I did an HR program uh, after that. And I've always been drawn to public service, that's where I spent most of my time. I'm, you know, at my core, a public servant, and I just believe in kind of the power of community and being able to provide, um, services and support to help our communities thrive. Uh, I was working there for about five years when a posting, uh, opened up for Edmonton Transit, decided to go for it. So I applied, went through, gosh, must be three different rounds of assessments, competed nationally, and then got the call that they were interested and had an offer. And then it was like, we're doing this. <laughs> So I relocated, moved across the country, came to Edmonton uh, to lead the primarily the workforce functions within ETS. Mm-hmm. So looking at operator hiring, looking at the operator training programs, and then the supports that we provide for them in the position. And I think we can all recognize it's a very unique position. We have over 1,700 people that are dedicating you know, their work life to us to help move people around our great city. And they need a lot of support. And you know, there's a lot to it. So I came to ETS and I was the only woman on the management team and I was trying to understand this transit strategy that was just about to get approved and trying to understand okay what's coming what are the big transformational things and and once I started digging in it was like okay this is really exciting like this is about the customer experience and as a user you know I have that lived experience my goodness I've waited in you know freezing cold I've missed connections I've been crowded on buses I Navigated transit with a little child, with a broken hand. Like, I've done it. I get it. So when I saw the transit strategy and what council was approving, you know, with the 20,000 Edmontonians that created it, it really did inspire me. And I got even more excited. We were kind of redoing the management structure and reducing the number of senior managers. So trying to be more efficient. And I was asked if I could take on another portfolio as director. So I was asked to take on some business support stuff, which included the business planning, kind of budgeting, fairing, those types of things. So I agreed to do it, expanded kind of the stress that I had, but I was excited to jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of complexities there, of course. And then uh, Eddie's moved on to a different branch as branch manager. So he's now knee deep in municipal fleet and our facilities. So this opportunity opened up and I was asked if I could just, you know, kind of keep the lights on for a couple of months while they went through a search process. And, you know, during those two months, so it was in December, you know, I was enjoying it and felt like this might be a really great next step for me. I love the team that I work with, love the work we're doing, lots of challenges. And of course, nothing's perfect, but I'm just intrigued by the opportunity to bring a different voice and just continue leading uh, as we go through all this stuff.
1: Well, that's a very interesting journey. Thank you for sharing that with us. So that was 2017, right, that you came to Edmonton? Yes. And then had this opportunity to learn about ETS and move into this new role. Uh, I want to go back to something you said. You were the only female Uh, manager on the team is that right?
2: At the time yeah when I came here uh, there were no other women around the the senior table for ETS. Now thankfully over time that changed you know now we have pretty much 50-50 between men and women. Uh, We have a lot more to do I think throughout the branch in the operator position in particular. One of my kind of mandates or missions over the last year was trying to promote career paths for women because I just don't think women think of transit as being you know a welcoming employer and, and a place where there's opportunity, let alone looking at racialized uh, candidates, looking at um, ensuring, you know, ultimately we should reflect the diversity of our communities and we don't. Right. We have like 18% of our operators are women. Like that's atrocious in so many ways, but I'll stop there.
0: Well, you stop, but I'm going to keep going <laughs> a little bit because uh, researching is tough and this data is hard to find, but as far as I can tell, you're the first woman we've ever had in the role of ETS branch manager. Do you know if that's correct?
2: It seems like it is. And I have to tell you, I actually didn't know that. And it was a former colleague, Helen Anderson, who uh, worked on the city plan. Uh, she mentioned it. And then I dug in a little bit more and it turns out, yeah, it looks that way, which is kind of exciting to be able to be the first and just, again, hopefully be a bit of a role model to say, you know, transit and transportation as a whole. You know, women can have really great career paths, and you know, I think there's probably some myths and misconceptions about uh, working in this environment.
0: Well, let's start by clarifying some of those misconceptions because, gotta say, we follow municipal politics. We know the city organization pretty well, I would say, but I'm not sure I'm precisely clear on what your job is as ETS branch manager. Where do the boundaries lie? Because you're in charge of operating the bus network and designing the bus network I'm pretty sure but not designing the LRT because council designs that and then what about transportation operations it gets very gray so can you go over what your role is where your domain lies
2: yeah that's a totally fair uh, you know statement and, and a great question and I think being able to clarify it you know is really helpful so the way I look at it there's lots of different I'll call them partners within city administration that are working together. And it's really all about enabling, you know, better mobility in the in the city. And ultimately, hopefully in the entire region, we all work together towards this. Within my scope, obviously operations, service management, big, huge focus of our branch. So we're delivering kind of that public transit service that we all see and feel. Uh, so we have LRT operations and uh, maintenance related activities for existing LRT. We have our conventional bus service you know i'm a big bus fan and and then paratransit service so looking at you know our dad service is another big component and now we're launching our on demand service albeit it's being delivered through a contracted service provider it's also part of the suite of services that we're we're providing so it's like a layering of different transit solutions, but in partnership, you know, we're working together with other areas like our urban form, urban planning uh, teams that are looking at the city plan. And what does it mean to have, you know, really good mass transit plans as part of that? What does that future state look like on the LRT side? What does LRT growth look like? And you're right. There's, you know, another pool of people that are knee deep in okay, what does that expansion look like and what are the opportunities, but ultimately all of these elements should be integrated and work together So that me as an end user and you, hopefully, I I hope you use transit, um, see these options available to us. And depending what our needs are, depending on our mood that day and, you know, our destination points, we have this suite of opportunities really in front of us to say, maybe I'm going to take my bike today and then I'm going to take the LRT. Or maybe today it's all about bus and I just, you know, I want really fast, convenient, safe bus service, and tomorrow it's something else. So that's really what it is. It's about overseeing the service side of it in particular. There's lots of subcomponents under managing a service like this, but it's all about that safe, accessible, and hopefully convenient options uh, for us as Edmontonians.
1: And I think it's fair to say the ETS branch manager is a fairly high-profile position, certainly when it comes to the various uh, partners you mentioned related to transit. And, And you've taken this new role on you know, as you pointed out right at the top, just a month or two before a big bus network redesign rolls yeah. out. So I have two questions about that. The first is just simply, how are you feeling?
2: No, I appreciate you asking that. You know, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm excited because it's been what, like 24 years since the last time the network was refreshed?
1: Troy's whole lifetime, I think.
2: It's sad in some ways, right? That it takes this long. And I think you know seeing a refresh and I know it's hard and I know some people feel like now I'm going to have shittier service like that's not fair that's not an improvement and then we have areas that never had service and or you know didn't have reliable weekend service or something like it's taking a finite amount of resources and trying to create you know these high frequency kind of corridor and hopefully you know, do more with what we have so that we can then build on it. And hopefully council will agree, you know, to growth scenarios where we can add to it. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it's a huge change management, not just for our staff and our partners, but also, you know, for the users, for the community. Um, We have extensive outreach, a lot of advertising, a lot of marketing. And then we're going to have people just out there, you know, in a COVID friendly, safe manner, uh, trying to connect with people and help them through the change. Um, But I do think this is foundational work. I think it's essential in order for us to contemplate any type of service growth. Um, And it's, again, you know, really, I think, long overdue. Um, And so many people gave input. Like so many people said, we got to do this better. (laughs) We need something different. Bit of a cliche, but, you know, the community needs transit, but I need the community. (laughs) Like transit (laughs) needs the community. We do. Like we're here for people, you know, to see it as that you know, convenient, safe option. And it needs to reflect what people are saying.
1: So I don't want to diminish the 20,000 people because it's a significant public engagement process that happened. And it's great that we got so many people engaged. But, you know, there's a million people in the region. Yeah, Um, There's a lot of maybe negative voices at the moment about the bus network redesign, people that feel like it's going to be um, you know, not a good experience. It's maybe not going to achieve the things that everybody hopes it will. Yeah. So my second question about this is not how is the ETS, you know, service preparing? You know, you mentioned marketing and education and all the things that are going to happen. I'm, I'm thinking about you specifically. You've taken on this new leadership role. You've been in the organization for a while, but this is a new role for you. How are you specifically preparing yourself? Like, do you, are you doing affirmations every day? Like, what are you doing to prepare for what's about to come down?
2: <laughs> I think um, I've been deliberately working on resilience as a concept so I'm very open about mental health I do have anxiety but you know I'm pretty high functioning I cope in a number of different ways so I do find I need outdoor time so hopping on my bike especially now that the weather's better even if right. it's just 20 minutes you know on a neighborhood trail just to try and refocus my brain a bit I think the power comes from I think just acknowledging that I need that and I try and squeeze it in as best I can you know I have a lot of family support. I have a six-year-old. I jokingly refer, you know, my real job is I'm his personal assistant.
1: I have a little one and that resonates.
2: Yes. (laughs) Right. Like we're pretty much, you know, doing whatever they need. (laughs) So it just brings some balance. I think part of taking on this role though, you know, I'm leading the 2000 plus employees through this, you know, obviously huge community impacts and I have to own the good and the bad. Like I don't get to say, oh, sorry. And then just shrug and kind of move on to the next project. Right, that comes with the role, and I I have to take ownership for it, and I will, you know, I absolutely will. Again, I'm cautiously optimistic, <clears throat> and it's not going to be perfect. I know that, and I think the team knows that, you know, and I think council knows that, and we're going to have to have those conversations about okay, what what didn't we get right? Where do we need to fix it, and how do we do that uh, in a way that's you know reasonable and can be done you know, to help mitigate some of those, those issues that might pop up.
0: You alluded to this a little bit earlier with the idea that we're implementing high frequency with the resources that we have. But the undertone that's going through all of this is we're redesigning a transit network that we've been cutting for the past decade. Is this a problem that needs to be addressed? Because like you said, you've got to own the negatives that come with the changes. But some of these negatives aren't necessarily your fault. Your department's getting cuts every year. How do you grapple with that? And are you advocating for growth or are you managing it more effectively and saying, we're going to make do with what we have and letting council off the hook maybe?
2: I do appreciate kind of where you're coming from with it because I agree. I think that's what people are kind of wondering, you know, Like, like, am I being a good advocate for transit and transit investment? And, you know, I think it's a bit complex in the sense that, you know, we take direction and our governors are elected representatives of the people. And I think we have really good support around that table. I think, you know, it's not just our mayor who's a champion for excellent public transit. I think a lot of them have really shown good support. But ultimately, (laughs) I keep going back to thinking of it's a fixed pie. So we have to be very careful, right, about how we use, you know, it's taxpayer funded. And What kind of pressures we put on taxpayers and all that good stuff. And I think, you know, recognizing we have cost escalations, we have heavily unionized labor workforces, we have, you know, expenditures related to fuel and power that aren't static, like frozen in time. And how do we absorb some of that and, you know, do this in a way that's just minimizing the negative impacts onto taxpayers? And it's such a fine balance to try and work within that fixed pie. So you know, in my ideal, we would have, you know, really good funding support from all orders of government. I think COVID has really highlighted and reinforced just, you know, that critical kind of essential service that transit is. If we can get to the point where we have some stability, I think that's going to help help us manage through those tough times. But, you know, we're part of the city, like we're not a standalone, we have to play within the bigger sandbox and recognize again, it's it's a fixed pie which sounds like a very bureaucratic answer. And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm saying it, I'm like, I sound like such a public servant, you know, bureaucrat.
1: <laughs> well, we can move the pieces of the pie around potentially. And, and one of the reasons we might do that is if we do see growth in yeah. the transit service and increase in ridership. And you've, sure. you've mentioned earlier, you know, city plan and how things are need to be integrated. And I'm honestly, quite encouraged by the, the fact that you do use transit regularly, as well as other modes of transportation. You're very, very multimodal, which is, I think, a big change for uh, leadership at the city. It's fair to say. But I'm wondering about whether or not you think it's actually possible to shift modes. Like in your heart of hearts, do you really think in Edmonton, we can get more people taking the bus?
2: I'm gonna be confident and say absolutely we can. And I'll tell you why. It's not gonna happen overnight. I know that. I'm in it for the long the long game here. And I think that city plan and the process around it and just the conversations about the transit components, honestly some of the most exciting pieces of work I've seen, you know, throughout both like my HR career and my transit career. I just it's so exciting. And if we can line this up right and It's funny, I was just reading the bike plan that was released at the end of last year. And, you know, there's some really important, exciting components in there. And it's all of these elements working together. And if it goes in the direction I think it can go, right now there's exciting stuff happening around hydrogen. Like who knew we'd be talking about the possibility of maybe hydrogen-fueled electric buses. But again, all of these elements work together to create, I think, you know, what could be a very exciting time for public transit, and again, the layering of all the different solutions uh, working together.
1: But Edmontonians don't choose the bus because it's powered by electric hydrogen, right? They choose the bus because it's the most convenient, because it saves them time, saves them money, has a positive experience. Like, How do we make it so that ETS provides that kind of experience? For those of us with options, those Mm -hmm. of us with a car, it's often the better choice to take the car. It's going to be quicker parking is free almost everywhere you go way too way too often you know the bus has a uphill battle is what i'm i'm thinking mm-hmm. uh if we if we're going to get people out of their cars and into the bus i mean I, I think those other things you've mentioned are exciting and and could make the transit service as a whole uh, a much better thing but how do we get actual riders onto the bus
2: yeah and i think that's kind of the key question isn't it and we keep circling around it so The qualities you described is exactly what we need to create. And that's, you know, I think the path we're on. I've been spending a ton of time over the last probably two years on safety and security, as an example, and trying to bring a women's lens and looking at it, you know, from um, more of an intersectional perspectives on it and GBA Mm plus and all that good stuff. But, you know, that's just one element, but it's a really important one. (laughs) People need to feel safe. Definitely. Right. If they don't feel safe. Yeah. Honestly, I don't care how fast it is. I don't care about... Um, you know, how comfortable the ride is. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to use it. It's one of those critical components. But you're touching on all of it. Like it needs to be fast. It needs to be uh, convenient. You know, it has to be comfortable, accessible, um, safe, etc. cetera. And I think creating those conditions are really important. So, you know, specifically about bus, you know, I think talking about dedicated bus lanes, talking about having those mm-hmm. corridors, you know, looking at BRT, Obviously, I'm biased. I do think the BNR is important. I think we need to have that high frequency corridor established, but all of those elements are going to work together. But ultimately, you're right. You know, some people are going to choose not to. My hope is can we get away from the single occupancy vehicles and maybe encourage, you know, alternatives to that? We've got climate goals that the city is deeply committed to, and I think the community is. Or at least a large part of us are. So when you say people aren't gonna use it, you know, because of the type of, of bus, I don't know, like maybe there is a portion of of the population that would disagree and be like, hey, it's kind of exciting. We're electrifying our fleet. That's fair. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to setting some of those goals. You know, what is the horizon? Like what is the time frame? We need garages, obviously, to accommodate um, but what does that look like? And I think it's exciting. I really do.
0: You've started touching on it, and I want to follow up on this because, hey, we, we're we in a climate emergency. Is ETS doing enough to fight climate change? Is ETS doing enough to greenify the fleet? Or should we be doing more?
2: You know, I would love to do more. I'd love to do more tomorrow. I think we have infrastructure, especially on on the fleet side. If you think about, you know, getting rid of all the diesel buses, let's say, and and converting them over to electric, wouldn't it be great if I could do that, you know, let's say in a year's time, have it all done. But we have almost a thousand buses and you need infrastructure around, again, depending on the type, but around that electrification. So, you know, I think that is the direction we're heading in. Any future, you know, garages are going to be built around electrification and reducing our dependency on diesel. At the same time, it's, it's a, again, a long-term game. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think there's other alternatives and new technologies that are going to come up. Like I said, I never thought we'd be talking about hydrogen, but lo and behold, we are. It's going to be interesting to watch the transition. Could we do more? Absolutely. Are we doing more? We're, we're trying our best to get there. It's just we're gonna need the surrounding infrastructure in order to pull it off.
1: Should ETS operate a Hyperloop, for instance? <laughs> Thats something we should be doing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We were um, having a conversation the other day at work about, you know just alternatives and brainstorming. And I always say like when you're brainstorming, anything goes. <laughs> Man, let's evaluate ideas and see where we land. So I'm not going to comment necessarily on a Hyperloop, but I definitely think there's room for lots of creativity. Uh, to solve some of these these issues, for sure.
0: There's no bad ideas in brainstorming, but a Hyperloop is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of technology that exists in our minds, but will never be delivered to our hands, let's talk about Smartfair. Because like we talked about with the bus network redesign, um, I think I was just being born when we first <laughs> talked about implementing <laughs> Smartfair. Pretty much. <laughs> We've been talking about Smartfair forever, and yeah. we were t- supposed to have it last year. We were supposed to have it this year. We're supposed to have it now. When are we getting it? Can, <laughs> just when? Give, give us a date.
2: <laughs> just be straight and give us a date. Um, okay. So the good news is, <laughs> I do have good news. Uh, we will see smart SmartFare this year. Uh, it will be a phased implementation. More details to come. Absolutely got disrupted. Uh, we had some difficulties um, with things like border closures and all that fun stuff. But yes, uh, the teams are working really, really hard uh, I agree. Long overdue. <laughs> I've been anxious for it as well. You know, there's, I don't know if you've had a chance to use um, transit and other kind of larger urban centers, but mm-hmm. you know, definitely. New York City as an example, right? Just load up your car and hey, you're a tourist. It's easy peasy. Just do this quickly and then away you go. So I think that notion of just the ease and simplicity and, you know, those types of features, it's definitely uh, something long overdue. So we're really excited, but it is going to come this year. Um, I appreciate the frustrations and, and the patience, um, but we are going to get there. I'm, I'm really happy to say it's coming and I'm confident and we're feeling good about it and more details are going are gonna to roll out. Um, but first, obviously, it's all about this bus network and on-demand stuff.
1: I mean, I've seen the readers installed on the buses, right? Can you yeah. just remind people a little bit about like what, when we say smart fare, what does that look like? I pretty much carry just my cell phone everywhere I go now. Will I be able to do that and get on the bus?
2: Yeah. So with the phased implementation, yes, at, at one point um we'll be able to use our, our phones. I think for the first little bit, it'll be similar to what I described for New York. So it'll be loading up cards, tapping cards uh, to get on, carrying whatever balance you want on a card. Um, you know, there'll be Opportunities. So let's pretend I'm someone who, and just for full transparency, I grew up in a low income household. So I speak from a little bit of experience about understanding what it's like not to have, not to have a lot. But um, in saying that, like if, if you can't afford to have more than let's say $5 at a time on your card, uh, you can absolutely just have $5 on your card. So you don't have to upfront, let's say $100 um, or $35 uh, on the card. So with that, when you tap, it's going to know obviously that it's your card and then you're going to tap off when you leave and that's going to deduct the fare from that balance that you have.
0: And are we doing fare capping? So once you hit the cost of a monthly transit pass, it stops billing you?
2: Yeah. So that's a big part of it is uh, all those features. Exactly. Yep. So you're not going to get charged over and over and over.
0: Let's talk a little bit about other modes of transportation, because you talked about riding your bike, you talked about walking around, you talked about taking transit. And a good public transit network isn't just buses and LRT. Uh, Things like scooters, bike share, um, other modes of transportation, they can integrate. And in places like Paris, uh, there's a publicly funded bike share that really just integrates well with the system. Is this something that ETS is looking at?
2: So I think I'll speak to it more from a city perspective. So again, recognizing we have a lot of different partners, you know, there is work underway. And I think that document, the bike plan that came from our city planning colleagues is really cool because it does talk about some of those elements, you know, more, I think more work needs to be done again, I sound bureaucratic, like, let's just study everything.
1: <laughs> That's a meme on our show, actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, but in all honesty, you know, I think it, it lays the foundation for, you know, how we can look at all those different elements and bring them together. So again, I'm all about introducing options and making them attractive so that you can, you know, each day kind of make up your mind, what do you, what do you want to do uh, for your transportation that day? And that sounds a bit, I was told one time, it's a very rosy kind of picture, you know, naive a bit. But truly, that's what I think everybody deserves is just, you know, see how your day's going and, and how do you want to get from point A to point B. Um, so I feel like that bike plan is really important. And they have some really cool uh, items in there and talk about bike share as an example.
0: We're butting up on the end of our time. And I still have a lot of questions I want to ask. So I'm going to askew transitions and smoothness, and we're just going to fire them off and see what you've got answers for us on. (laughs) Sound good? Sounds good. Why is it okay that Sherwood Park buses don't pick up Edmontonians?
2: I would say that right now, we have agreement from eight participating municipalities to look at regional services and integration. So to address some of that, because it is frustrating, I think, for people to see buses whizzing on by when, you know, it could serve your purpose and get you to where you need to go. So of the eight, you know, they're going to be at the table together. We're part of that to look at service planning and see if we can do a better job of integrating, find some efficiencies, and I think enabling exactly what you just described so that people can seamlessly move around those those eight.
0: We've heard a lot about transit police ticketing disproportionately uh, Indigenous and Indigenous women above all other groups. Is that something that falls under your purview? And if so, is that something you're planning on taking action
2: on? Yes, yeah, so I think the city as a whole is planning on taking action on it. So there's been a lot of, um, I think, listening and learning. And now we're, we're turning it into action. So, you know, the experience, I think, of uh, BIPOC members of our community you know, there's definitely systemic kind of deep seated uh, issues. And, you know, this whole year has been a year of, I think, for all of us, just really opening our eyes to the amount of not just learning, but action that needs to be taken. So I don't have direct authority over the transit peace officers per se. Again, that's done in partnership uh, through community standards, which is a separate part of the city. And saying that though, we're at the table with police, we're at the table with our transit peace officers, with our social uh, development branch to look at an integrated supportive model of how do we all work together for the outcome of ensuring a safe system for all Um, So I think some of those issues require lots of training, they require lots of, you know, in some ways, culture change. And I think we're going to get there. Again, I'm optimistic. And I think there's a lot of work to be done. uh, But we're going to do the work. And I just recently completed as an example, real quick, uh, anti-racism training with other leaders, uh, other branch managers from across the city. And, you know, it's going to cascade. And it was so Emotional and at the same time, such an important kind of foundational piece of work. And I think it's just going to spawn a lot of uh, good action planning because there's a lot of work to do. We need to do better.
0: Again, no transitions. Personally, in front of my house, the 81 is being canceled in the bus network redesign. It's not going downtown anymore. And I'm spitting mad about that. I'm ready to fight someone. How do you prevent me from fighting the bus driver who's going to be basically the face that I interact
2: with? Yeah, I would say we're going to have mechanisms for people to share their feedback with us. So, a uh, couple things. One, our operators are operating under tremendous amount of stress and pressure. You know, they're trying to provide that safe, uh, reliable journey for people. You know, they've been at the front of this throughout COVID, kind of exposed to all kinds of risks and are really, really dedicated to what they're doing. So, please, please, please be kind. You know, do not take it out on our operators. We have mechanisms like calling 311. We're going to have, you know, online forms that can be filled out. We've got other ways to share feedback. And I understand people are going to be frustrated. I get it. Um, but please do not take it out on the operators. They are being paid to help operate our trains and buses uh, to help move people around the city. And they aren't the ones <laughs> behind this. Again, I'm going to own it. Like, I, you know, our teams are are going to review all the feedback. Um, If something's not working, we will work to, um, you know, try and fix it, working with the resources that we have. Uh, So that's my plea. Um, Please be kind to the operators.
1: How important do you think it is for your fellow senior leaders at the City of Edmonton to use transit regularly?
2: I would actually say, (laughs) again, this might be a bit of a, you know, a rosy answer. I, I want as many people As possible to be using transit. So, you know, for those of us directly working in transit, I think having some lived experience is important. Whatever format shape, you know, that takes, I'll leave that to everybody to decide for themselves. But what a difference it makes for me, like I said, to to have lived it and know what it feels like, uh, see it, feel it etc. Uh, I'll just speak to me personally. It, it makes the world a difference.
0: If the city manager proposed a new departmental policy that said all senior leaders have to take transit three days a month for their daily lives, would you be supportive of such a
2: organizational change? Of course I would. Absolutely.
0: Is there a war on cars in, in Edmonton specifically?
2: Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no, I'll just say that. No, I don't think so.
0: So a couple years ago, um, I was invited to the uh, transit rodeo and I pretended that the pylons were um, little kids. And I said, Andrew (laughs) Knack, I'm going to go Vision Zero through here. I (laughs) did not Vision Zero that route. Have you ever driven a bus? And did you do as poorly as I did?
2: So interestingly enough, I uh, did a simulator on the East Coast. I have not gotten behind the wheel and I'm going to tell you why. This is my personal opinion on it. But we have a six-week training program for that position. I have the utmost respect for people who do that job. And I feel like I'm doing it a disservice if I have whatever it is, like half an hour chatting with an instructor and then <laughs> get behind the wheel. <laughs> um, but it's funny. I think I'm going to be challenged. Like some people have already said, like next time we do a rodeo, I'm curious what your performance is going to be. Uh, so I might just have to, you know, suck it up and, and do it.
0: At the rodeo, they don't give you thirty minutes. They say that's the gas pedal. Go! Oh, <laughs> Time starts now.
1: I, I was. Gonna say, I'm still kind of surprised they let Troy drive a bus. Actually, <laughs> like it's incredible to me. Uh, I I think you could probably handle that one, Gary. We often ask our, our guests about something like the Talus Dome, but I'm going to ask you instead since you're the branch manager of VTS. Yay or nay to the art on the Kathleen Andrews Transit Garage?
2: I actually love it and I'll tell you why. I love public art and I think art is very personal. People always have very strong feelings about it. Um, but I I err on the side I think we need more public art, not less.
0: I think we're just about out of time. We went a little bit over, but you know, branch manager BTS, <laughs> we got to dig in. We want to give you some space to anything else you want to say, anything else you want to let listeners know, think places to follow up. Here's some time.
2: Well, thank you so much. I think overall, you know, I really do appreciate um, the people that have been using transit throughout COVID. I know it's been very difficult. Um, We've had some, uh, you know, ups and downs over the last few months. And and there's certainly some issues that we're working through uh, to make sure that everybody feels safe and that transit is still there for you. So, you know, really, my final words is just a thank you. It's a thank you to people, you know, that rely on transit and have been using it. And um, I just look forward to Kind of guiding us through all these next steps, and, and there's so much more to come. So, just it's a big, big thank you from me to everyone.
0: Okay, actually, I have one more question because I was skiing in Banff the other week, and one of the shuttles that goes to Sunshine Village had a very distinctive blue and silver high flyer design. Did we sell our old diesel buses to Banff or Canmore? Is that something that you know about?
2: It's not, but it's something I will look into. <laughs> okay, and just see you know. that happened. Okay, that was very random. I never anticipated that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me neither.
2: <laughs> I love it.
0: Thanks so much for uh, joining us. It was a pleasure to have you and welcome back anytime, especially uh, when Smartfair doesn't roll out this year.
2: Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: all jokes aside, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you and uh, best of luck in your new role. I, you picked a very challenging time to start and I wish you all the best. <laughs> yes, Thank definitely. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: Carrie just landed into a new career as branch manager, and we can tell you about Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifetoday.ca and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers
1: and career paths. It features the stories and experiences of Nate alumni, with lessons for everyone. Discover perspectives, tools, and tips essential to career growth and success, no matter what stage you're at in your own career journey. A recent episode you might find interesting features Edmonton's chef Stephen Boroshu of Milk Crate, who explains why mental health in the restaurant industry often gets ignored and shares what he's doing to change that. You can find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check it out online at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast.
0: Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Carrie, And we're Speaking speaking municipally. Municipally.